Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along our shorelines. Because June is National Ocean Month, and this episode will air in the wake of World Ocean Day, which is on June 8th, we wanted to do something special for this episode. And when I say we, I mean me and my (laughs) co-host. That is right. Today, I am not steering this ship alone. I am sure that is probably a relief to some of you to hear. Um, But I have with me a dear friend of the podcast and a cherished partner of the Healthy Ocean Coalition, an all-around great human. This person is also probably a familiar voice to you by now if you are a regular listener of the show. So without further ado, David Riera, welcome back and welcome to the co-pilot seat. I am so excited to co-host with you. Buenos dia, buenos dia. Thank you, Jenna. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, I really appreciate being your first mate, uh, you know, braving these uh, these seas as uh, as changing as they are. <laughs> you know, you're once again making Sea Change podcast history because in addition to being the first person in more than 50 episodes that I had on as a returning guest, you are also now the first co-host that I have had that is not another host on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. So all of that to say is you're kind of a big deal. This is a big celebration and it's so fitting for National Ocean Month. <laughs> that's exact. That's exactly what we're here about. You know, we're here yeah. about seeing the transformation, not just, uh, you know, in our spaces, but, you know, in, in history. And I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. Speaking of big deals, We have a remarkable guest joining us today. Raimundo Espinoza is the founder and executive director of Conservacion Conciencia. He is leadership embodied and has extensive experience in coral reef conservation and management with an emphasis on close collaboration with commercial fishers, local NGOs and governments across the Caribbean and Latin America to create unique opportunities to further conservation actions both on the ground and in the sea. Raimundo, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenna. I really, really appreciate, really appreciate being here and uh, happy to, to be uh, on today with both you and, uh, and David. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think you guys make a great team and, uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, I'm really happy to be on. Bienvenidos, bienvenidos a, a todos. That's what it is. I, I, it, when, when this all happened, I keep hearing in the background that old song. Like, it takes two to make a thing go right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy that you can make it with us today, right? Very appreciative. Buenos. Empezamos with the, with our with our kind of like our opening question here, right? I, you know, a, apart from you being in Puerto Rico all the time, like. What are, what are the ways that you connect to nature, to la naturaleza? Like, how are you connecting? So, so yeah, David, I mean, this is great. I mean, so it's, it's one of these things that, you know, as part of the job, really, uh, you know, we, since we're really working with communities and most of the communities that we work with, all the communities that we work with are coastal communities, uh, our office is with them. And so we're constantly, like myself, but all our staff, we're, constantly either on the water or in the water 
or you know so so it's 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 just part of the job is actually just, we're in nature connecting all the time um but then you know per, you know personally that's kind of what we do i mean that's kind of my my escape with myself with my family is just really like real areas within Puerto Rico that are really secluded that are kind of just secret spots to whoever knows about them because whenever you're there there's nobody else but then you speak to other people and everybody knows them but it's really great that every, uh, even though everybody knows where they are when you get there you're always alone so it's like this is it, it's really peaceful so and it, it's either it's either up in the mountain or mountains right next to the shore um but it's 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 one of these things that yeah I mean fortunately we're we're, we're very fortunate the way that we work that I mean, that we're very seldom at the office, at a traditional office, because, you know, that, that's kind of, kind of part of the work that we do. Even, even when we have to write things and do more traditional office work, you know, we're still uh, based uh, on the coast, and so we're, we're still able to really be able to connect. So, I mean, it's, it's, more, it's more so uh, we're constantly in connection, and I think that's kind of part of the reason why we're really able to, to, to you know to to be a small organization that has a really big impact is because the presence that we have is is constant and so again that's also why we it's it's about you know i think i think i i feel that if i would have been in an office a bit more but that by by now uh i think i would have burned out a, a lot i think i would be bur i'd be burning out because you know we, there's a lot of work but again it's that that constant connection to connect to, to nature uh, that kind of makes it easier to continue working, really. Yep, yep. And I, you know, I feel like there's so much recharging that happens in nature. I totally connect with what you were saying. And, you know, when David was a guest on the show, we spent a lot of time talking about the mental and physical health benefits that nature provides. And we sort of traded stories about finding solace in nature during times when we needed to heal or how our intrinsic or primal connection to the natural world drives us to take care of it. Um, so, you know, in a way so that it can continue to take care of us. And it feels like that resonates with you. Um, was that influential to you when you, when you decided to pursue a career in ocean conservation? Uh, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because it became that, that that's something that, that was part of it because I, I remember, I mean, when I, I you know, I, I was born and raised in Ecuador and, uh, and, and I remember what the reason I fell into kind of ocean conservation was, you know, I was, uh, I played a lot of basketball and I was going to, I wanted to go to school in Hawaii and that was going to be the plan. Uh, but then when I was thinking, I was like, going to go to school in Hawaii. It was because of that. I was like, I don't, I was like, you know, when coming out of high school, it's like, what do I want to do? And I was like, I don't know, but I, I do know that if I can study something that can allow me to be in nature, and I was thinking, yeah, 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 like study something that allows me to be at the beach. If I can be at the beach while working, if that's if I can combine that, and I was like, that that'd be ideal. And that's kind of how 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 it just developed. And and, and again, it wasn't it wasn't uh a, on purpose. It wasn't it wasn't with that direction, but of course. You know, because again, at that at that time when I was 16, 17, and 18, when you know, trying to make the decision of what my career would be, you know, I wasn't thinking of my mental health specifically. But I think, you know, unconscious, you know, without being aware of it, I actually was because I was thinking I want to be near the beach because that's where the beach gives me peace. And given that, you know, 
yeah, when I say Ecuador, I'm from Quito, so I'm from the Andes. I'm I'm from like the the middle of like surrounded by snow-capped volcanoes. So there's no beach nearby. So that in my mind, I was like, I want to be near the beach. And so I was like, how can I work near the beach? And I was, so you know, thinking back, it's like, yeah, that's a hundred percent thinking. I want a career that takes care of my mental health. So without like being aware of it, really. Yes, exactly. And in hindsight, yeah, it's like it was clear that I wanted to be happy with the work that I was doing. So that's how I chose this career. Um, uh, kind of, again, without really knowing. Because, again, if, if I could have been, uh, if, if something would have landed on my lap, like, I, I think, I, I think, because, again, what I, what, what I felt like, what, my, my passions, you know, is like a lot of art and music, you know, a lot of instruments going up. And that, that's what I thought. I could go and I was like, I, but I can't do that on the beach, really. Like, <laughs> I was like, I can't, I don't think I could do that on the beach, just uh, do art and, and play. So, again, because I wasn't really thinking, because I probably, of course, you can do art and play music on the coast on the beach. Of course, you can do this. But in my mind, I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. I was like, how do I combine university, you know, formal education? And again, just because, again, I was very closed off. I had it, I wasn't open enough. And again, fortunate, I was very fortunate to have been able to, to make, you know these these decisions, and again, if if I wouldn't have been attracted to the the peace and the and, and you know and the, the the connection that anyone has to to the ocean and and you know the fun that one has at the beach, I don't think I would have been so happy or or in, in the career that that I did choose. So I feel I do feel it was very serendipitous the way that everything kind of ended up going because again when i went to school i was thinking yes okay well i can study the environment and then i was like oh well i can i can kind of let's go fit it back into that box and i was like i can be an environmental lawyer because that's a <laughs> lawyer right that, that's a good living and then combining combining it with uh with the environment i was like that's great but yeah and, and again that, that's also i mean that's another story that, that kind of really fits into it that you know uh i i studied abroad in mexico for a semester and, you know, we were, we were really embedded in, in this coastal community in Baja California Sur uh, that we worked with the community and the kids in the community and just all the, all the different stakeholders and, and residents in the, from that community in Puerto San Carlos. And that experience was, was what, what changed me to be like, yeah, I, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be in the community. I want to so, – so that's when I actually, you know, changed – from continuing on to law school and to went to grad school for conservation biology. So that, that it, it, again, it's been, it's been really the, the environment, one, that chose me down, that put me down this path. But then second was the community, like the people that, that made me say, like, you know, I want to, that combination of the coastal environment, you know, the nature, but then also the people that was like, no, no, this has to be with the connection with people. And that's actually kind of uh you know kind of going down the line getting ahead of myself but that's actually stepping back to these to the roots of my you know of of why i wanted to go into this is is why i ended up kind of in the path that i've been on for the past six years with uh with conservación conciencia i think that that's very important to say ray porque at the end of the day eh, i feel that the places that i've been to and I don't know if it's like this for you, Jenna, but I feel like I didn't choose those places. I feel like those yeah. places chose me in a weird, uh, esoteric kind of building that connection. I think that the environment 
reaches out to to their champions. You know, it's it's a calling that I don't believe many people hear. Uh, you know, and you're talking to somebody that uh, listens with his mouth wide open. Um, so, you know, it's <laughs> it, it's very that. So, right, you know, you you've been to all of these places, and it and I know, and in, in you have a rich history. Um, not just in La Isla and Puerto Rico, but you have a rich history in South America, Central America. You know, what are, you know, you mentioned like these hidden spaces, by the way, you know, every time I hear hidden spaces in, you know, hidden beaches and pocket beaches, I'm always thinking that there will be like a, a shark territory there or like uh, this new, this new M. Night, <laughs> this new M. Night Shamanah movie. Uh, there's a, there's a curse there, right? <laughs> So that's Sharknado three. Yeah, that's not to scare our (laughs) listeners, you know, but this is to be cautious because, you know, you know, sometimes I think of of the very little time that I've that I spent on the islands in Hawaii. And, you know, knowing, you know, knowing the locals, locals have very special places that are intrinsically valuable to them. And especially when they are when they are connecting. So, you know, can you tell us what are some of these, you know, what, what what are some of these special places to you like that you can name i know you mentioned in baja and i know you know puerto rico throughout you know must be very special but unless they're like secret off the map you know we don't want to give coordinates or anybody because you know we want to keep those special but like what are some places especially since a lot of the places that you mentioned are are tourists and ecotourism is is a big thing now like what are some meccas that you could recommend or that are really that particularly speak to you no, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, so I'm, 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 I'm of this mind that, that any place in the world, like, it doesn't matter, like, where you are, because you'll, there's always, there's always these amazing, incredible places in nature, most, that, that are sometimes even just, like, hidden to our own side, just because that's not, we're not really paying attention, we're not just paying, we're not really paying attention, but then, like, for, for example, for me personally, uh, you know, uh, it, it, so that I'm gonna start like where I, because of where I'm at in Puerto Rico. So, for example, the places that we work again, it's it's again. I've been I've been cherry picking. Like I started six years ago with Conservación Ciencia, and it's like, where are we gonna work? Now I was like, we're gonna work in the places that I really love to spend time, and you know, <laughs> because again, it just it's part of that motivation. But it's why why do I love spending time there? And it's just because they're just so peaceful. And it doesn't have to. It doesn't mean that they're not thirsty or that they're not. Uh, there are people. There aren't people there, or it's just just like nature. So, for example, one of one of like one of our bases is uh, Naguabo. So Naguabo is uh, is this municipality in southeastern Puerto Rico, which is you know it's it's a very it's very small. So it's very 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 small, but it's it's it has El Yunque National Forest uh, on this back, so you can see the, you know Puerto Rico's highest peak in the back, and then you can actually see it while you're right on the beach. So you can see the cloud for you can see that you can see the rainforest uh, right while you're right on the beach uh, and right, right next to like a reef and seagrass meadows. So it's just one of these things that's like oh, and, and at the same time, you know, there'll be folks. There's a there's there's a you know at the, at the Ucares Beach, which is where we're based. Uh, some of our projects are based. You know, it's a boardwalk and it's it's a it's a it's a, it has a working waterfront, several restaurants. It's a it's a pretty for Nahuabo, It's one of the bigger tourist attractions that folks come to eat like fresh local seafood to hang out to party as well but it's you know it's it's one of these things that it's like really integrating really being part of your local environment so and what i mean by that is it's you know it has 
you know you can you can go to a place and drink a beer and hang out and and hear the you know the the uh, billboards top 10 and just party as well but at the same time you don't have to turn your back to the environment entirely you can it can still be done in a proper way so or and and again if that's not your deal you can just step away you know two blocks and then you won't hear or see any of it so it's one of these things that it's, it's just a great combination of modern society in the middle of the most natural setting that you can imagine. And so that's kind of what I feel that's like these secret spots is just because I feel that, I mean, maybe I use, I exaggerate with a secret spot. I, I feel like more, 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 it's a, not necessarily a secret spot. It's more a spot that is respected because again, folks, folks know where this at, where it's at, but it's just respected. And so Puerto Rico is also really interesting in how, you know, how, 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 how Boricuas and how Puerto Ricans see the island because you know, when, when you drive around Puerto Rico, you step outside, like, the middle of the cities, like, outside of middle of San Juan or Orcaguas or Ponce, and all these cities, they're all surrounded by forests. There's, like, just so much uh, forest throughout. So you, you take any highway, and you're always surrounded by green. So it's one of these things that it's, it's you know, Puerto Rico now uh, or, or historically has been able to develop and be – not not be underpopulated either you know there's for the size of puerto rico there's a lot of a lot of people but it's this also this the urban sprawl that we've seen occur within so many places not doesn't doesn't hasn't occurred as much as it has in, in you know in other places in the world which is really interesting because because again as we can see currently it's not that you know that the laws and there isn't corruption that you know that prevents you know environmental degradation there is you know that happens but it's kind of the people that really are bringing it together and then you know other secret spots you know for example for, that i love and that really have shaped the way that i kind of see the world uh is again i you know again I, it's, it's one of these things fortunately I, I you know i think everybody is fortunate to grow up wherever they are and just they need to just whoever you need to see what's around you because many times many of the places that i've been when i was there i wasn't really appreciating where i was until i left and then when i left i was like wow that is insane because again so i grew up in ecuador so i grew up in the middle of the andes i i would see cloud forests all the time and i just it didn't click it didn't connect in my mind until i left you know i remember my my sixth grade spanish trip was to galapagos <laughs> And so it's one, of, it's one of these things that, yeah, <laughs> I know, amazing. right? It's, 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 it's crazy. But this is one of these things. Of course, I mean, <laughs> but, but this is what I'm saying. For example, Metro Zoo for me when I was in sixth grade, that would that would have been so beyond the scope. You know, and it's again, it's like, oh, we just went there, we had Galapagos, and, and then it was like, yeah, no, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? So it's one of these things that, you know, later when I was older, I was like, hey, we have to go back and just really continue to see it through the eyes. Of, and, and then, again, it, it's just amazing because I remember the, one of the times when I was a little older, maybe like 12 years old, my mom was like, my mom was like, let me take you to Galapagos so you can experience it as a vacation, not as a school trip. So we went there. And I remember, so this is, this is me at like, yeah, 11, 12 years old. And we were snorkeling off a boat, as you do when you go to these type of places. And it was a group of like 20 people. And the 20 folks kind of just kind of snorkeled away. And I stayed near the boat because I was kind of scared. I was like, because there was a lot of fish. There was a lot of marine life. And so I kind of stayed near the boat and the group went on with the guide and, and the guys and the folks that stayed on the boat and the guy and the, the boat driver. They're like, it's okay. You can stay here with us and don't worry about it. 
So I, I've told this story to like personal friends as well. And everybody always ends up saying like, yeah, like how did you not like realize about this about yourself? So as I'm swimming next to the boat, I start to see the water like in front of me start to get darker. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, that's, that's kind of weird. Like what's going on? And so I kind of just start floating and not stop swimming and just kind of keep on looking. And as the water starts getting darker, I start seeing like it just you know it was really light blue and all of a sudden it's just getting darker and darker and I'm like huh that, that's weird I was like I look up I was like no there's no the darkness starts to like silhouettes start to form and I start to see it it's like like a wall of hammerheads that's like swimming I thought like towards me but of course it's just like next to me and so it's like this wall of hammerhead sharks and I'm like you know I lift up of my my I was so scared. And I, I told the boat driver, I was like, hey, I got to get out of the water. And he's like, no, you can't. No, just take it easy. Just we're here. We'll pull you out. Don't worry. And I was like, no, no, I got to get out. I'm like, I got to get out. Shark and, uh, and remember, I'm like, I'm, I'm a, like 11, 12-year-old mountain boy. So this is like very different. So I'm looking at this and it's like this wall of sharks. And then again, and it's just like for like 30 seconds because it just, they came and they went. And so then after that, I was like, they're gone. I was like, can I get on the boat now? They're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I came on the boat. And I remember, like, I didn't talk about that until I was, like, maybe 30. Because when folks were asking me, oh, tell us about Galapagos. Because I, 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 in my 20s, I went back to Galapagos to work. And, again, I just didn't. And I, when I went to Galapagos to work, it was all on land. Uh, and, and so, again, until, like, you know, until, like, 30 years later, when I was 30s, in my 30s, I started speaking about these experiences. Like I said, the, the secret spots and these connections that, of course, folks know about Galapagos. Folks know about the sharks there, right? And so it's one of these things that I was like, because it was such, and you know, I, I do have a lot of passion towards the ocean, but at that time, it was kind of, it was very frightening as well. And it's kind of that, that, that combination of being frightened and respect, but then when you're older, being able to, to reassess, and I was like, wow. And I was like, that was, that really freaked me out. And, and I was like, and I've always wanted to work with sharks, and I just never thought that that had anything to do with it until I was later, and I would have kind of looked back. And so it was just really interesting. But, you know, like you said, I mean, like those secret spots, those experiences, how, again, again, me just not being self-aware at all, how kind of looking back and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, if I was, if I would have been a bit more self-aware, I was like, yes, this is exactly where I was supposed to be in the direction that I was supposed to be going. I was like, yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I feel like that that's like where you were at the time though, you know, like it, it's the... The being in the ocean like that and having experiences like that are so humbling. And I think that is such a, an important thing about our connection with the ocean is that like, yeah, you know, a lot of us really like the three of us especially spend a lot of time working on ocean protection, thinking about ocean management and conservation and like really appreciating the marine life and everything that lives within the ocean. But like, you know, as an ocean conservation professional, there is a very real part of me that is still scared of the ocean. Like you are no longer the apex predator when you're in there. There's like a different level of respect that you need to give the ocean. And I think, you know, that's really one of my favorite things about it is it's like, it puts me in check. It's like, listen, lady, like, you don't mean anything out here. Like, we're going to teach you so many lessons. Maybe you're going to be scared, but it also could be like the most beautiful moment of your life. Um, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I think that that brings me to like this, this different, a slightly different train of thought, like, cause I, I was thinking about how we, you know, all of us are thinking about what is a healthy ocean? What makes the ocean healthy? And if, if we were to like ask that to any person that works in this space, I feel like you would get a different answer. Like what a healthy ocean means to somebody is going to be entirely different depending on, you know, what that person values and what their experience is in the ocean and the benefits that they get from it. So I'm curious to know, like, what does a healthy ocean mean to you? What does a healthy ocean look like to you? Yeah, I mean, that, that's such a, that's a amazing question to, to to ponder and to think about because exactly it can you know their their healthy ocean depends right depends when you're what's your starting point and also depends for who and for what uh it's and you know it, it's a it's a it's an answer i mean it's a question that you can either you can address it with a lot of science you can address it culturally you can address it economically so it, it's one of i think that 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 question should be like at the core of like of 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 all the work that we do for conservation ocean conservation really like what does it look like because uh because you know for, i mean for example i mean there, there's there's things that are happening right now in puerto rico that we can, we can address and say like oh you know uh puerto rico is kind of this outlier when we talk about fisheries or or or, or parrotfish for example puerto rico has so many so much we're, we're really we're really fortunate to see the amount of parrotfish that we have when we see when we compare it to other places in the caribbean and so you know going back to the question of what does a what does a healthy ocean look like you know i i feel that i think i think all those factors need to be considered just because a healthy ocean economically can is not necessarily a healthy ocean uh ecologically and so if that's if if, if the economics is kind of our threshold then we're, we're we might we might put it we might we might put certain ecosystems that are not economically of interest at risk. Or if we're just looking at the ecological, we might put some of the cultural aspects that are of interest at risk as well. So it's I think it's it's, it's it has to it has to be to answer that question. I mean I don't think there's one answer, but I do think I, I do think that the answer for or or an answer is really making sure that all the aspects of ocean health are uh, all the all the different uh, factors and variables need to be considered um, not just one and so i think i think that's to me that to me is kind of at least the way that i try to to, to move forward um uh when when i do ocean conservation just because i i, I do think there's many because more so because i think the solution lies in the interdisciplinary approaches to combining uh to combine com in combining the solutions so for example if we, if we talk about let's say uh you know the the just the ecological aspects of certain species uh it might kind of eliminate a lot of the cultural value uh that some coastal communities have and, and i think we've seen that i mean we've seen that with with certain permitted activities uh that uh, tribes are allowed to conduct uh versus you know economic activities that are not allowed with and so i think that's kind of a, a good way to move forward and, I, and again i feel that kind of the base for that always needs to be respect because i think i feel that sometimes we we kind of we kind of are in our silo 
and we and 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 I don't think anybody means that, or most most folks or most anybody doesn't mean any harm by really advocating, uh, by advocating an extreme of protection to like really protect the economics of what the ocean is providing economically for communities or what the ocean is providing ecologically. Uh, you know, many times though they folks go to those extremes, and it might seem like it's to harm somebody else, but I feel it's just that many times in our passion and everybody's passion, we kind of get blind to what could also be a solution from the other side or from a different perspective. And so I, I think that to me kind of also kind of the, the basis of what a healthy ocean is, looks like is, is something that provide, it provides, you know, that if it's able to provide for every aspect of, of, of systems. It can be economic or ecological or cultural or social, but yeah, that's a really Absolutely. good question. I, yeah, no, but I think I, I think <laughs> I think you did it on point. <laughs> no, 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 I think I think Wright did it on point, Jenna, because you know I I feel like one of the things that spoke out to me is you know we we see especially in the conservation space like you know almost like a zero sum sum game like if you have it I can't have it and there's like these power struggles and. You know, there's words that I, I don't believe that, you know, que espanta la gente, you know, they, they, that people are actually like fearful of the words like inter and trans. Those are two words that I think we should start embracing more in the 21st century, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary. Uh, to me, this is this is really speaking to, you know, sharing is caring, something we all probably either have learned or needed to learn when we were like, you know, knee high, right? And that that's how we're building understanding, you know? And I think that, you know, it, it, Jenna, it brings us to the to the point with Riot because everything that I know about, you know, Conservación Conciencia really drives that inter and transdisciplinary connection, not just, you know, with with the people that you're impacting but with the community at large and getting the message not just spread through puerto rico but outside you know and so Raya, i was i was wondering can you tell us more like what what drove you to to kind of create conservacion conciencia diganos you know tell us a little bit more about the organization and you know, what, what's the ultimate goal? You know, what are, I know you mentioned already some of the projects that you're working on, but, um, I know that, you know, like many of us, we are, we are spinning a lot of plates in the air and, you know, I, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So, so, you know, like, you know, we've been working in conservation for just like a bit over 20 years and, you know, all over the place with, with really small NGOs, with really big NGOs. And, and so, you know, and again, always from the the environmental conservation point of view, that's kind of that's the only thing I've worked in, and so, uh, and that's also what I studied. And so I've 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 I do I've been coming from this corner that you know uh, a lot of the things that I, I felt that a lot of things that I studied weren't matching up on with a lot of the things that I was implementing throughout my career. And it's not that they weren't good. I you know a lot of the projects were amazing. A lot of conservation projects that we've did we've done. You know, with all the organizations and agencies that we've done have been amazing. But I felt that, you know, I felt that that we were always, you know, kind of you hit it as well, like being scared of the things that are trans or inter. You know, uh, uh, I felt that we were leaving a lot of benefits 
on the table. I, uh, conservation benefits on the table. And when I talk about conservation, to me, conservation intrinsically is interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary. Um, because again, everything that we've just talked about, right? I mean, we can we conserve the natural environment, and it can it can be for for mental wellness. So I mean, that's you know that that can be a direct project, or it can be an externality of a project. But in, in just just conservation to me is already intrinsically uh, trans and interdisciplinary in how you in the benefits that you get and in the way that you can work on it. And so to me, so I remember thinking all these projects that we're doing, we're leaving benefits on the table or, or when we talk about metrics, it's like, well, we're not measuring this when we could to really show the benefits of it. So for, you know, so for example, we can, we, you know, we all do this. And when we talk about marine conservation or, or, or work with fisheries, we always talk about the fisheries. We say, oh, this, this marine protect area needs to be done this way or that way. Why? And it's like, oh, well, you, and then you tell the fishing community, you'll see the benefits in 10 years. There'll be more fish that you can catch. And it's like, okay, so let's establish it and then we move on. Uh, or, you know, the focus is in, in the creation and uh, the creation of it. But then a lot of the work, a lot of the benefits are later on, not just, uh, not just in the creating of the park or the closing of the park. But then in that process, we're always talking about the benefits that are beyond uh, the actual implementation of the work. But then sometimes because just because of how funding works or just the realities of 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 you know of implementing work, uh, once you actually complete the project, then you move forward. And my mind was like, well, why does the project? Why is it completed when you, when I mean, to me, the project needs to be complete when you when the benefits that you mentioned are also measured, because if that's part of what you're selling or what you're predicting or what you're advocating for. Well, that needs to be part of what you're including. So I was like, well, we're leaving a lot of these benefits, and I feel that you know, part of from the point from the science point of view, if we're able to also be able to, if those are also tracked and published and recorded, it's also going to be easier to be to to get buy-in and to be replicated. You know, I think that's exactly how it is. Looking at it from the perspective of you know, there's a starting point, and then there's the there's a flow to it, and then you know, we're kind of in the space. You know, jumping from project to project. Yeah, and and I mean, and again, it's 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 not it's 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 kind of the way. It's I don't think it's I don't think it's like anybody's at fault. But you know, when when I was I, I when I was when I had the opportunity, I was like, well, you know what? I I started again. I started thinking back. I remember when I was like twenty one years old. I remember I had like drawn out like the whole uh, flow chart of an NGO that I wanted to create, and I was like, you know what? I was like, I think this is a good time to throw my hat and like try something that I've always wanted to do. And so, you know, six years ago, when I was, I was 34. I was like, I've had a good amount of experience with small NGOs, with big NGOs, with local governments, with the federal government, you know, uh, locally in Puerto Rico, internationally, you know, throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. I was like, all right, let me, let me, let me try to get something together that makes sense and see if it works uh, with the vision that, uh, you know, that I have, if, if, if for conservation of being really very inclusive uh, in all uh, all the ways, and what I mean that what, what I mean by that as well was, uh, you know, I always I also felt you know from from being also bringing bringing on board communities, and one of the things that I also wanted to really focus on was kind of the immediate economic benefits of conservation, and so to me that was you know when we do conservation projects even from nonprofit sector, private sector, academia, any any sector when you're doing conservation. There is an immediate, even in even if you fail in the conservation project, there is still immediate economic benefit in that most folks that work in conservation 
are still getting paid to try to do conservation if it's successful or not. And so it's kind of kind of from from this point of view that we are all we are always asking communities for their information so that we can do projects based on their information. But however, we're getting paid to do that, and the communities are expected to give their information. Most of it is traditional knowledge, it's local knowledge, and it's expected to just be given for free. While whoever's implementing the project, again, this is from my point of view, when I've been doing this, I've been getting paid to do the project and I'm asking them for their information and knowledge for free. And I was thinking if they were lawyers or doctors or engineers and everything, like they wouldn't be giving this information for free. Yes, there's folks that work for pro bono, but when they're consulting professionally, you know, most folks charge. And I was like, ah, we, we do this a lot with communities. We do this a lot with the fishing sector. You know, we're asking for their information for free. We do this a lot. And I thought, well, you know, in the implementing phase, you know, we're, we're you know, we're still getting a benefit. It's, you know, of course, it's our career, uh, but of course, but that's how we put food on the table. But we're asking for their information that of how they put food on their table, but we want to use it for our means. And like, again, so that conservation conscience group, like, let's see if we can actually begin to integrate folks, uh, even in this part of the phase uh, of conservation. Again, just to see if conservation, because uh, again, the way that I was educated and what I studied was that yes, conservation can be a means for economic growth as well. Um, so I was like, well, let's give it a try. And, uh, you know, again, we've, we've stayed very small at Conservation Conciencia, but the projects that we've been able to do has really integrated uh, the communities that we work with and the planning development. And so if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're getting paid to do it with, and we're asking for information and consulting for folks, uh, we're gonna bring these folks on board. Um, you know, part of what we talk, try to talk about is like kind of professionalizing, uh, giving the, the professional standing that traditional and community knowledge deserves. Um, again, because that's kind of the world we live in. Because if again, if you th if you think about it, you know, the, the, the you know traditional knowledge has been valued for so many times, and that's how biopiracy started, and all these things, just kind of folks taking advantage of local knowledge for their own means. So I said, like, well, let's try to kind of bring this back down. To make try to make conservation more equitable as well in the immediate benefits of implementing it. Because again, we're you know if we if we succeed in conservation uh, and any in preserving a forest and it, you know it creates more uh, diversity or we do an MPA and there's more fish, well that's not just the benefit to the fishing sector. That's the benefit to everybody, right? So I, so I was like, well let's bring let's bring all these benefits to everybody. And and again, that's kind of. The, the the kind of the original concept behind conservation conscience to see like uh of course the name of it is also the play of words right that that's kind of the whole part of it that's conservation with science conservation conciencia and also uh conservation with a conscience to really uh try to be as 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 conscientious to all the work that we're doing as uh, the uh that that the organization is trying to implement but also respecting it. And, then, and it's something that I just heard recently, which is really great because I, I love when other folks describe the work that we do from their point of view, because it's, it's really interesting. And someone said that the, the work that we do is they see it as disruptive collaboration. And I love that. I love that. I really love that. Because it, again, it, it's really putting, for, for, and the work that they were describing is really because we work a lot of a lot of the work that we do, the projects, uh, you know, that we were asking for, you know, we, we work a lot with the with the commercial fishing sector, and we put commercial fishers at the center of conservation, for we because again, commercial fishers depend on the fisheries. So in our point of view, they're depend they depend on fisheries, and so they're kind of the biggest 
the biggest party of interest that wants to protect fisheries. So we put them at the center of conservation to advocate for conservation, to be the front line on, on the science of conservation. Because again, and then from, from as a scientist, you can step back and say, well, what is science based on, right? What is the very first step, right? The observational part. And so we think, well, you know, most of us uh, doing uh, any, type of, any type of science, you know, uh, uh, or, or natural sciences, uh, you know, we, we would love to spend more time on the water and water and the forest, uh, you know, any, any type of the natural environments, but you know, of course we usually can. But if, when, we took, when we look at fishers, especially commercial fishers, they're, you know, five, five days of the week, five out of seven days, they're on the water or in the water if they're diving. And so it's like, well, from an observational point of view, they're getting such amazing data. So I was like, why not integrate that? And so kind of, that's kind of one of the, one of the projects that what, what we're doing. And so we, we've been working on collecting data of endangered species uh, with, uh, with, uh, with commercial fishers. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, marine debris removal with commercial fishers. We started, we started the Puerto Rico, uh, uh, Puerto Rico shark research uh, and conservation program uh, where we work side by side with uh, commercial fishers. And so we've been doing that for six years as well. Um, uh, we, we're, we're doing a community-based uh, aquaculture uh, where, we, uh, where we've started to do uh, Queen Conk aquaculture uh, in partnership with uh, Florida Atlantic University at Harbor Ventures Atlantic Institute uh, with, with fishers in that they're helping us restore uh, Queen, Queen Conk. At the same time, uh, we're also beginning to see folks from the community, show them how this could, how small-scale aquaculture can also be uh, an entrepreneurial activity for food production, but also for business. Um, so this is the kind of the type of work that we're kind of uh, jumping into and we've been doing for the past couple of years. Yeah, you know, I think was, I, I was like vigorously nodding the whole time you were talking because I was like, yes, like I love, I know we're on a podcast and so no one can see me, but I'm like, I love everything you're saying. And I feel like the organization that I help run, the Healthy Ocean Coalition and your organization are like really kindred spirits. And I just really admire how you lead with this mindfulness and put the emphasis on like transformational relationships with people rather than transactional ones where you're just taking information from them and using it as a means to uh, achieve your own goals without really considering the impact that what you're doing is having on the entire community. I think that that is something that we've seen uh, the conservation community do for many, many years, and it's a practice that needs to change. And I, so I, I'm just really grateful for you all um, being those like that disruptor of like, hey, we don't need to do it this way. We can be a lot more considerate and, you know, conscientious and conscious in the way that we are operating and really like centering the people and the communities in the work that we're doing and building these lasting relationships. And I really love what you said about how you all put the, the commercial fishermen at the center of what you do, they're involved in all of the conversations that you're having and decisions making that you're having because they are out there every day. And this this is a little bit broader than just like the commercial fisherman perspective, but every single one of us can learn from each other. You know, listeners and then the three of us alike, we're all sitting in different, vastly different geographies. You know, I'm up in, in uh, Southern Maine 
you know, David in Florida, you're in Puerto Rico, and we're all working with these people that have diverse viewpoints, sets of expertise and knowledge. And it's really on us to be having conversations like this, to share that information so that we can all work together and be stronger as we move forward. And I think, you know, something that I find really interesting too is from where we're all sitting, we're all being impacted by climate change, but it's different. Like what we're feeling here in Maine is going to be totally different than what you both are feeling. And so I think that this is a really cool learning opportunity for us to hear more from you about how um, climate change is impacting Puerto Rico locally and then the Caribbean overall. Are there certain trends that you're noticing or um, anything that's sort of standing out to you as as how that area is going to be impacted as we continue to feel the impacts of climate change? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, for, for climate change, I mean, and I totally agree with you. I mean, it's such a, it's a it's a, you know one of, one of the, before I want to move on the climate change because I wanted to yes thank you so much for saying that how we can each learn from each other so much because I, I feel that you know even 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 again we're in conservation right so I can that's where conservation or, or or the environmental sciences you know even even if and we all have our expertise but I feel that while we each have our expertise while we become more experts in what we do the more we still have to learn about what we're not experts in because again. We become experts in our field. That means we've dedicated less to the other things that we're. So the more we need to collaborate, because, because again, because there's it's the less of Renaissance people we are. Yeah, definitely. So I feel that the, the, the more we become expertise, the more the collaboration. Yeah, it's like we don't want to build that silo you were mentioning back up around us. Like we got to actively be working to keep that those barriers down. Yes. Yes, and, and it's difficult because again, it's one of the things I feel just like human nature. Can you become an expert or you become an expert at one of at something that you are an expert in? And it's sometimes it's our own egos that won't allow us to kind of put that down. And in Puerto Rico we say we say baja la dos, like put the volume down, just to turn it down a bit. Turn it down. <laughs> like turn it down. Like it's okay. Like you know, and I feel that it's our own egos that don't let us just like listen to other folks because we're like, no, 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 wait, I'm the expert in this. It's like, that's okay. No one's saying you're not, but because you're an expert in something, it doesn't mean you can't listen to somebody else, which you probably even like with a lot less experience because you can still learn from those people. And, you know, it can, based with your expertise, you can probably even expand on it even better. But you, that, that, need, that, need, that, that need to be, to remain open uh, and, and understand that with expertise, the need for collaboration still exists, I think is so important. So important, so important, but thank you. But that, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Lifelong learning, lifelong learning. That's what it is. Lifelong learning. You, 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 cannot be, you cannot be so egocentric to not understand that you are a lifelong learner. And this is for everybody. Because once you figure out that you're not, a, that you think that you're not a lifelong learner, then you have nothing to contribute at all. You know, it, it makes you, it makes you static. And I think that it it does the opposite. You know, I think if we're consistently trying to break these silos and consistently trying to bring them down to us and to continue these collaborations and open communications, because again, you know, I, I will keep saying it, this is not a zero sum game. This is this is a very collaborative space where all of us, you know, all of us in, in our different spaces and together are 
are fueling a place of belonging, not just a place to fit in, you know? And I think that those are very different thoughts. And I think that as minorities in this conservation space, I think that, you know, whether, you know, you're a black person, a brown person, a female, uh, LGBTQ, whatever, I think that we are now doing the work to break the fitting in and actually create a space of belonging where everyone could be doing the work collaboratively, you know, almost, almost, you know, Jenna, almost like, uh, like the way coral reefs work, you know what I'm saying? It's like this ecosystem of things coming together and not just fitting in, you know, I, I, I'm always like, like what Ryan was talking about, you know, parrotfish upkeeping the coral reef, the coral reefs, you know, making the space. And then the sharks come along and they're like, Hey, I'm here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like these symbiotic relationships that we all have with the with each other, for sure. And you know, just in general, if there are people out there that are like, "Oh yeah, you know, I've I've learned enough. I've I think I've learned it all." It's like, come on, we, like what an, an amazing, magical experience it is to be like a a soul in a human body on planet Earth. That is like this all-you-can-eat buffet of lessons to learn. Like you, there is no way that any single one of us is ever going to know everything and learn everything. So it's like if you're ever hitting that wall where you're like, yeah, I think I'm good, you're not. Like keep going. There's still so much to learn out there. There's, it's like, it's just what an incredible, I'm like not trying to get us into this huge deep conversation, but I'm like what an experience this is to be on this planet, sitting here talking to you all um, just at the same time. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I t- totally agree. And, so, and, and that, that's also kind of where I come from with, with uh, for the point of view of climate and with climate change, right? Uh, you know, every, how, how things are changing. And, and for us in the Caribbean, you know, it's one of these things that, like you said, it's not going to be the same for everybody and how, how, what can we continue to learn? Like and what, how things are changing and, uh, and it, it's not going to be kind of like you said. It's not going to be static, David. It's going to be. It's very dynamic. And and then so for example, for us, you know, life life is really changing in the Caribbean. I mean, we've seen, you know, it, it's kind of what we hear. Uh, one. I mean, we're the one of the easiest places to kind of also work on climate change because it's that's what you hear. It's like the more free, stronger, and more frequent storms. And so for for us, for the island folks, it's kind of very. Very critical on how that changes everything, you know. And, and Puerto Rico has a, a pretty good experience because of Hurricane Maria, and then every other island has a good experience because some hurricane has hit it at one point or another. And so it's just remembering. It's like, yeah, that, but stronger and more frequent. Like, yeah, that's that's a terrifying concept because of of everything that's that the you know just school for the kids, uh, you know. And not even that. I even go more, go, kind of even more basic, like power. Like, yeah, how, how do we, how do we live with power for eight months again? <laughs> yeah, that's so, that, that, that's a definitely that's an infrastructure. You know that that's that that's that's building that infrastructure. And and I'm glad that you're getting to this point, right? Because you know, honestamente, eh, si nos recordamos la conversación que tuvimos that we had like a couple of months ago. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, we're, we're going to go into, uh, into DEFCON, DEFCON, you know, DEFCON situation now, right? I really, I, you know, so, so just for our listeners, you know, me and Rai, 
you know, as we're as as many of you are listening to this after Capitol Hill's Oceans Week, you know, we came together in that space, you know, for this this concept of environmental justice and like what Jenna had mentioned, you know, our ethics, our experience, you know, our our experiential um, learning habits and all this really create that that ethos, that ethic of justice that we work towards, and really like what Rai was mentioning, you know, within within the organization within. Uh, Conservación Conciencia, you know, we came together to to really help out and, and plan out uh, Chow last year. And we decided we, we liked each other so much that, uh, yeah, we, we, we stayed together. So now we're, you know, we're a part of this. We're a part of this, uh, like this, this really like what I call uh, the uh, the Ocean Conservation uh, Justice League. Right. Like, you know, like if you think about Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, um, you know, all of these these heroes and heroines, um, I'm really thinking of us like that. And, you know, Rai brought up something to my attention, to to our attention, um, which is a story about what's going on with, with Hobos Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve. And, you know, I kind of wanted to hear, you know, Rai, tell, you know, bring me back. Tell me, tell me all that, because, you know, you, you brought this up at a very important place when, you know, the, the National Estuarine Research Reserve System had, had at that point, 29 estuarine uh, reserves, and they had added the Connecticut one. But oh, I wasn't even informed yet on all the issues that were going on in Hobos. So can you tell, can you tell us, please, bring me back there. Yeah, so, so yeah, all right, we, we, let's get into that, because that's also... That's that's a that's a really good one because again it brings it brings back kind of the concept of of not closing off in the silo right when we're talking about conservation it's not just about the environment it's about it's about life right it's about equality it's about equity and so uh, you know Hobos Bay Hobos Bay is actually one of our one of the research places that we work on with uh, with sharks and and with the, with fishers in in that in that in the area of that com- of, uh, with fishers in that community that's around uh, Hobos, Hobos Bay National Estuarine Research Preserve. And so and we've been working there for several years, and so we, we know we know the folks there. We know the folks that work there. Uh, you know, we do a lot of research in the area and conservation uh, projects. So we know the area pretty well. And um, so it's been it's been it's been it's just it's, it really is an amazing place. Um, so back in the ni- 1981, the U.S. Uh, NOAA gave funding to the local Department of Natural Resources to buy the land around. Hobos Bay for the creation of the National Estuarian Research Reserve, and so it's the only one in the U.S. Caribbean, or well, in the Caribbean, of course, it's, 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 and it's part of the the U.S. the National Research Estuarian Reserves. Um, however, since like 1995, there's been uh, invasions, illegal construction, illegal deforestation, uh, illegal filling, which means so folks, it's it's over mangroves, it's a wetland, and it's on it's on the coast. So they've been filling, so you know, a lot of construction on top of it, because there's been apparently a lot of folks that have a lot of power and influence that they've been able to just do so without any consequences. And so this is since 1995, and so it's not something that is new um, or that hasn't been known. The community, the, the community itself, has been a really uh, talking about it and try to try to bring it up, several, you know, for decades now. Uh, about the issues going on, the illegal construction. Part of it because, again, there are also other communities. Uh, most of them are not affluent. Uh, and a lot of them are uh, 
they depend on the environment. They're fishing communities as well. Uh, most of these areas are fishers. And so, of course, when uh, fishers, they see themselves being highly regulated. And so there's a lot of enforcement on them. But then they see the, their neighbors because they're rich and they're able to kind of build on top of mangroves. So, again, there's a lot of federal laws. For example, mang these mangroves are areas that are um, the, the Puerto Rican marbled warbler is protected. It's an endangered species. It's protected fish and wildlife. It's ESA listed. Uh, its habitat was cut down. Um, this is also uh, habitat for for the West Indian manatee. Also, I think you know, it's also a protected species. Um, uh, anyway, there's a lot of uh, plants, a lot of uh, birds, and other animals that are ESA listed. Uh, they're protected species by federal law, all within the area that's that I mentioned was being deforested, uh, illegally filled, and illegal constructions uh, in the area. And so, just this this past year has when this has finally kind of hit the fan and uh you know a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of announcements have been made and saying you know the documents of putting it forward of what's what's been happening and you know it's one thing you know i, I you know there's a lot of there, there might there, there's corruption in the puerto rican government that's allowed this to happen and that's one part of, of the situation uh, and of course, that's actually being taken care of. The Department of Natural Resources had just ordered uh, nine of these buildings that were illegally built and to be demolished. And that's one part. And that, that Puerto Rican government is dealing with it. But for me, the part that I would like to address as well is kind of the national part, the National Estuarine Research Reserve, um, how that part, that, 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 that reserve has been neglected because this has been known for many years. Um, if this would happen anywhere else in the U.S., of course, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers would have gotten involved, a lot of the fines immediately would, would this have been stopped. And second of all, you know, funding and designation of the reserves would have been removed in just to make sure that, that you know, the attention uh, would be moved forward. Um, all this is happening, like David said, at the same time when uh, the Connecticut National Easter Reserve was designated, and there's a lot of attention around that. And that's that's a, that's great, because that area where Connecticut is in the Connecticut, where the National Easter Reserve uh, was designated, it's again, it's also an amazing area. All those, all the 30 National Research Estuary Reserves are, are are covering areas that are just unbelievably uh, natural and have processes that that are uh, natural labs, and just just they, they deserve the protection they're getting and the recognition. However, you know, when we look back at, at the importance of this program, there's only 30 in the U.S. Uh, the one in Puerto Rico was it's dates from back in the 80s, uh, and only a little bit over 15 years, 14 years after it's designated, it's already being illegally degraded, but with no action taken. Um, and this is all on the heels. This is happening now, right? This is all on the heels of America the Beautiful, where the U.S. is supposed to, the U.S. federal government is going to spearhead, you know the policy for for protected areas you know 30 by 30 for the environment for the next decade as it's supposed to be uh and it's also supposed to be locally led and so this is happening at the same time when we have having this this kind of uh, the the light more light being shed on what's happening in hobos so it's it's really an uncomfortable moment because it's it's uh, well how can it be locally led when we don't have support nor given the importance even of what's federally designated in the territories. So it's just really, really an awkward situation on, on how, how can we move forward? And again, you know, many can say like, how, well, why wasn't this brought up earlier? And, and again, it's kind of also, it has been brought up, but at the same time, Puerto Rico doesn't have 
representation. We don't have we 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 don't have a voice to the federal government. You know, most most folks, you know, they can write their rep their congressmen, their, their senators, but of course we we don't we don't have any 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 representation in U.S. Congress for for our issues to be to be raised. And so it, again, it's one of these situations that even in conservation, the 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 colonial status uh, of folk of Puerto Rico not being able to to raise its hand it affects you know even policies. Of course, the Biden administration has nothing to do with Puerto Rico's colonial status, but the situation that it does inherit does affect its policies and how it moves forward on working on them. And again, this is this is something that. You know, there's so many things that have occurred in Puerto Rico uh, around the destruction in the Hobos Bay National Natural Research Reserve of who has jurisdiction and what's going to be done about it. That you know, it, it puts it puts it, it creates this really uncomfortable situation of how can we move forward uh, with a lot of the policies that are that are being put forth that really help integrate. For, you know Puerto Rico and have a voice in how it moves forward because uh, again we, we don't we don't even have the same rights as a state would have but then you know we are US citizens in Puerto Rico that don't have the same rights that US citizens have so we it's kind of you know one of the, it, it's really an uh, uncomfortable situation because it's it's it doesn't really allow for a lot of uh, for a lot of good work to be done or even to address what's already you know, illegal actions to how, how do you address this? And so, yeah, so like like David was saying, like it's it creates a really awkward and interesting situation because of how do we address this type of work? And you know, when we're, especially in you know, a time that we're talking about inclusiveness and equity, uh, and of course, of course, and environmental protection. So it's kind of everything that we're talking about is exactly what's not happening when we're looking at these situations in Puerto Rico. Yeah, you know, I was going to say I'm hearing a, a lot of common themes relating to cha the challenges of being an advocate really for anything, but particularly in the context of this conversation, you know, an ocean advocate, conservation advocate, climate advocate, what have you, really these challenges to getting anything done. So like people misusing power and exploiting communities in the environment, the length of time that advocates could be working on a specific issue you know, like thinking about the work that we do or anybody that's listening to this that either works in this space or is considering working in this space, it's like one of the first issues that you might work on when you start this work could be something that you work on for your entire life and then it it's continues. Like the work is never done. And then there's enforcement issues, removing protections, funding, corruption, you know, all of it, representation to the federal government despite being a territory um, navigating a system that was built on white supremacy and racism, jurisdiction, colonialism, like there's so much there that we have to address and overcome in order to get anything done. And so I'm curious to hear more about like, what are some of those challenges? I know that you mentioned some of them, but like, what are the most challenging aspects of the work that you're doing? And what do you think needs to be done to overcome them? Yeah, I mean, and so you know, that's that's also like a really great question. It's one of these things that that uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because, well, I mean, we're gonna go with the with the again with the easy the easy answer. Of course, what's the most challenging? One is funding, of course. So funding because 
we, we're not, you know, we're not as we're not on the radar as much as other states are. And of course, especially when you talk about funding, it's like, well, who decides funding for the U.S., right? Uh, and we don't have anybody representing us there, so of course we get less funding. <laughs> and so, so that's one of those things. It's like we, somebody else has to do us the favor uh, for when we want funding to be addressed or directed for, for, for territories or Puerto Rico or the U.S. Caribbean. Um, you know, yeah, that's Florida or New York or, or, or Illinois. Hey, hey, can you speak up for us? Uh, or California. Um, to be like, hey, yeah, we got a population of uh, constituents that live in your state. You know, it'd be probably good for you to mention us. So, you know, it happens with you know, Pacific Islanders in California. It happens with, uh, with Puerto Ricans in New York and now in Florida uh, and Illinois. So, you know, it's one of those things. But I think that, that's one. That's one. I mean, again, it, it, it's, 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 that's, that's the easy one, right? Because it's just money. We always need more money. Everybody always needs more money. So that's the easy one. So that's the easy one. But, um, you know, uh, like, like I mentioned, like, uh, you know, this is something I've, I've mentioned to WD4. To me, it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservationist. So, so that's, that's kind of, to me, the, the kind of the battle has been, you know, working to, to conserve and, and see how we can uh, make our, our livelihoods more uh, sustainable, um, and so the clash in doing that has been other obstacles. Like I said, and, and one of them has been something that I'm not—that's not what I studied. Uh, it's not what I've done throughout my life, which is you know representation and like working in the, the social justice uh, 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 efforts. And so, and, and I guess that's why the, the, these things are, are, while they're not new to me in concept, they're new to us in implementing a lot of the work and so i think that's kind of the the some of the barriers again is more uh getting it you know is again it's getting getting a, a bit more of acceptance of 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 the inclusiveness that's needed because sometimes you know you know for example this happened recently you know we we said uh you know the fishing community trusts us to help to represent them because even though we don't always agree uh, they know we don't always agree, but they know we're transparent. So many times they they, they allow us to to represent them, uh, and so sometimes this the other folks don't like it that we represent them. Like, you know, other the federal government say, like, "Oh, we're not going to talk to you. We're going to go directly to the fishing community." And it's like, "You're that's you're welcome to do that, but they're not going to talk to you because they never have, right?" That's why I'm actually here um, <laughs> to help to facilitate that communication. And so I feel like allowing that inclusiveness to occur. Uh, and recognizing that you know that there has been historical mistrust uh, because of whatever reason, and I can this applies to so many things. Right? Um, allowing for the inclusiveness, inclusiveness, inclusiveness to occur, I think, has also been kind of one of the difficulties because it's, it's, there's there's still apprehension. So there's still apprehension uh, to it, especially again. And so this, 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 I mean, this is I you know this is one of those things that so you know in Puerto Rico, I, I'm I'm also a I'm an immigrant as well. So I'm, I'm a first, I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. You know, my, my, my kids are born in, in Puerto Rico as well. But, you know, it's been a little bit different just because it's, uh, you know, it's, just, it's kind of a, a similar culture to Latino culture and a Latino immigrant. Um, but that's also been one of the things that, that every time, every, every once in a while has been kind of a, a kind of a barrier on, uh, on how things are included because many times uh, there is a, a not enough representation, and again, because there's still a, a there's still a barrier to, to facilitate 
inclusiveness. And so, you know, when you're there, when we, you know, for example, when we talk about the fishing sector, especially and for the U.S. and for Puerto Rico, you know, we, we when we speak, when we see who's representing the fishing sector, it's usually not the same demographic that you see working the fishing sector. And so it's really difficult to see how that can be a voice for them as well. So, and so anyway, to, to, to me, that's the, the, the same aspect, right? The, the facilitating inclusiveness to really see, uh, to really, to really see what's going on on the ground. And again, I, I kind of see it through, through, you know, if you think of it from the science point of view, you don't want secondhand information. You want the raw data. <laughs> really, to make sure, you know, you don't, you don't want, you don't want the, the data to be passed on. You know, you actually want, you want the raw data to make sure you can code. Uh, to see that it's collected properly, the, the right. And so that to me is kind of the same thing as, as with, with inclusiveness. You want to be able to get the information from the folks that have it, not from the folks that think that know it. And, you know, so so that, that, that to me is kind of the, the same same type of uh, same, same type of, uh, of situation of what why what to, you know the biggest barriers for us that I've seen. Yeah, and you know, I think that this show is such an important space for us to have these conversations about what the challenges are, but we, we definitely don't want to fixate on them because there is a flip side to it where every challenge that we mentioned here, there's an opportunity. And with those opportunities, there's off, often these, you know, these silver linings and there's a lot of rewards and joy in this work too. So can we flip that on its head a little bit and spend a little bit of time talking about like, what is the most rewarding part of this job for you, and what brings you joy in this work? Oh my God, yeah, that, that's, yeah, no, there, there's so much. I mean, you know, so, so there's 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 so many things. I mean, for example, again, like uh, the, the the, I mean, one of the things that brings me joy like every day, is the fact that like you know we started with this that we wanted to see the proof at least proof of concept for the organization that we can create economic development through conservation that we don't need a it doesn't need to be, we, need, we don't need to, we can bring communities, we can create jobs with conservation for, and that money can stay in that community. And that's something we do, you know, we, we, we for, for example, folks that, folks that work in the Naguabo uh, Queen Conch Aquaculture Center, um, they're from the community. So these, these are folks that, that could, one of them came back to Puerto Rico because there wasn't opportunities uh, for her to work here. She came back to Puerto Rico to work in aquaculture because we, we were able to, create this for her uh you know she applied and she got the job and she was able to come back to Puerto Rico uh one of the persons uh, one of the wives of one of the fishers from Nawabo is the Nawabo hatchery assistant like that she's the, the manager's assistant for the or the hatchery assistant for everything that occurs there so it's somebody that you know, we were able to create a job in conserving con now she's able to have a better she has a better income uh in a new field that she's becoming, she's becoming one of the few experts in Puerto Rico in agriculture. Uh, so that is what that brings me so much joy. To be like, yes, you know, this can be done. You know, you can. You, again, and of course, you know, I've seen other folks do it, but it brings me joy that I say, like, listen, I had this idea, and we're able to do it. And again, it's not just me because we have a lot of collaboration. But again, it's it's one of these that it brings me so much joy that that the vision that I had is was possible. It wasn't just a pipe dream. It was a vision that of something that day is now successful uh and so that's something that brings me so much happiness because it means that now you know we have a model that can be replicated more people in puerto rico and throughout the caribbean latin america and other places that are similar demographics uh infrastructure uh, education 
can replicate this. They can include the community. They can have folks. They uh, they can have folks uh, work in conservation and make a better living, uh, providing for their families while protecting the environment. So it's one of those things that that brings me. I mean, that that, that brings me so much joy because because it's it's such a it's, it's a benefit to everybody, right? Um, the other thing that really that, that brings me so much joy is uh, being able to. To be like, hey, you know what? Tomorrow I'm gonna go shark tagging. So much joy to be able to be like, yeah. I mean, and then, then the other thing that, so for example, that's the other thing. You know, again, there's uh, there's been many people in Puerto Rico that have uh, that have been wanting to study sharks, but for X or Y reason, uh, for like the past you know, since ever. There, there hasn't. There's only been. There's only like four scientific peer-reviewed publications on sharks in Puerto Rico. There's no single shark expert in Puerto Rico. There's no, no, nobody at the universities has been studying sharks. And so, you know, part of the opportunities that we're trying to do with the program is also bringing interns and helping folks uh, to get their graduate degrees and helping create that scientific knowledge that Puerto Rico needs, with, with specifically about sharks. And so, you know, helping bring new interns and training them in the field. Uh, you know, helping get folks to be on their committees for their thesis and their dissertation. That brings me so much happening, so, you know, because it's, it's like, yes, like we're doing that. You know, we're helping through the program. We're not just tagging sharks. We're not just protecting the sharks. We're helping future generations of scientists be able to research and, you know, do, follow the careers that they wanted to do. And so, because I remember I, I, when I was, you know, 20 years ago when I came to Puerto Rico, I've heard of other people that, uh, that they're like, oh, I want to study sharks, but I can't, so I had to study something else. Or I want to study sharks, so I had to leave Puerto Rico, and then they didn't come back because that work wasn't available here. Uh, so, so to me, this is that, that brings me so much happiness. That again, not just because it's cool, because you can actually go and see sharks and tag them, and that's amazing. Uh, but also because of now of what other folks can do. And then, you know, for some reason or other, everybody that wants to study sharks, or, or at least all the folks that that are have been really passionate and being really driven that was that want to work with sharks have always that approach us they're all women so it's it's, it's amazing it's like this is it's it's amazing that like the shark world is in puerto rico is going to be dominated by women that's the shark sciences is women dominated they're, they're all they're all from puerto rico so it's, it's something that to me it's like this is amazing and you know it, i'm really happy that that this is you know that this is happening it brings me so much joy because Again, as as someone that had that, I didn't. Ha I left, you know, I left Ecuador, and so I, I always see that when when folks don't want to leave, but they have to because they want to pursue something, but they'd rather stay, uh, but they can't. You know, as as an immigrant, and again, it's something too because I'm an immigrant. My, my parents are immigrants as well, so like I feel like there's there's I've been I'm a family. I'm I'm like a second generation immigrant because my parents aren't from Ecuador either; they're from Peru. So no, I'm here again. So, so it's just that that seeing that like I want to be able to help folks if they want to stay, then let me help you stay. And again, you know, I I, I would have never put it together that like by creating a shark program, I would be able to do that. And I think that that's that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing, right? Right. That that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing. Look, for anyone that's listening to this, that's a student. I'm a student. Let me tell you something. Uh, I think what Ryan is saying is uh, get in contact. Yeah. <laughs> get yeah. in contact. There's opportunities <laughs> in Puerto Rico. If you want to be uh, that person that has the shirt that says uh, 
vamos a, neces vamos a necesitar un barco más grande. We're going to need a bigger boat, you know, <laughs> in, in, that, in that sense. You know, we're, you know, Puerto Rico's there. He is going to be there uh, as, the, as that, old, that old captain going like, it's out to get me and we're out to get them. <laughs> but you know, I, I I think I think Jenna, look, I, I think that this is this is it, right? This is important because I think that there's so much opportunity, you know, but opportunity with uh you know from a from an anti or a decolonialist type of, of mentality calls for calls for mindfulness, calls for conciencia, you know, and I think that you know Puerto Rico being La Isla del Encanto. You know, again, I'm a kid of the 80s, and I used to think uh, Madonna's old song, uh, you know, La Isla Bonita, was all about Puerto Rico. And, and come to find out a couple a couple of years ago, it was actually about uh, a place in Belize. But I'm, in my head, it's still about Puerto Rico, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, about this great love story with the island and all this kind of stuff. And I think we just need to be mindful, right? And so... Can can you tell, you know, the listeners, the people, can you tell like what, you know, one, what should people be mindful, you know, of being tourists, of being, I guess, eh, temporary stewards of the island when they're visiting, you know, not just to take advantage in that sense of what tourism is about, but like giving back, be, leaving it better than what I found it. Like what kind of advice, what kind of things are in your mind get really speak to what travelers and, and people that go to the island, what can, what can they be mindful? What can they be consciente about? And more than that, how can we support? You mentioned like the, the issues with the territory, right? You know, not having a voice, especially in Congress, like how can, how can there be more allies? You know, how can even los Boricua that are far from home, you know, los boricanos in New York, how can they really uplift, you know, these kind of things like Jobos Bay and other critical critical conservation notes in Puerto Rico? Yeah, so I mean, so for, firstly, the, the, the tourist one, David, with, with tourists, I think, I think that's, you know, in Puerto Rico and like, and, and really anywhere you go, the, the reason you're going there is to see the place, right? You're, you're, you want to see where you're visiting. Uh, and so, the, most of the, you know, every place is, every place you're gonna go is gonna be amazing. It's gonna be very different. It's gonna be, it's gonna have its, 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 uh, its local quirks. And you know, I, I feel like it's just really ensuring that, you know, uh, kind of, like, kind of just like the basic things your mom or your grandma or your father will tell you that about, you know, you're going into somebody else's home, just respect it, you know, and just you know, you know, listen and respect. I think that's kind of the base. You know, you don't. You know, I don't think you have to tell anybody like not to litter or don't cut down trees. I think that's basic. You know, you don't you don't go to somebody else's home to make it dirty. I think that's basic. I just think I just think really, you know, just enjoy, just try to have a good time, uh, and just you know, be treat it as you would expect others to treat your home. Uh, I think that's kind of the the, the, the kind of the the, the, bare, the kind of the the the, the things the, kind of the lowest common denominator is you know the golden rule. You know, the lowest common denominator. You know, just treat other treat treat this. As you would sitting your home, and I, I think that's that's kind of it, and, and really really straightforward. And then and for as a support, I, I feel that you know, I uh, there's there's many situations, right? There's uh, you know with, with with the support, 
this is you know many folks are going to advocate for Puerto Rico to become a U.S. state, for Puerto Rico to become independent. Um, you know, I, I, those that's people's opinion. Folks can advocate whichever one they want. I think that they have the freedom to do so. However, I, I do think that there is you know what what again the the, the the common denominator between wanting independence or wanting a U.S. state become a U.S. state or even staying as a commonwealth. The lowest common denominator that they all have is that Puerto Rico has a voice that you know not to be ruled. <laughs> one one of the comments that I think uh, that I think uh, I upset folks uh, last time I was. Uh, uh, you know, I said, uh, well, in Puerto Rico, are we subjects or are we constituents? Are we citizens? Because right now, you know, in, in a U.S. territory, in a U.S. territory, you know, we 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 should steal D.C.'s plate because we also have taxation without representation. So it's one of these things that that you know that I don't, you know, that to me is again, how do you get support? Is just you know things for for them to be fair. Uh, if you want independence, if you want to become, a, if you want to remain as a commonwealth, or if you want to become a U.S. state, I don't think that changes that you still want to be a person that wants to be heard, that you want to live in a place where uh, things are done properly, that if something is done illegally, you don't just sweep it under the carpet, that it's addressed, and that you don't have folks uh, making decisions uh, for you without even uh, having heard from me. And so I think that's that's the common denominator between all of them. And I think, you know, if you're in Puerto Rico or if you're in the States, um, you know, let your voice be heard. Because uh, one of the things that doesn't change is that if it's Puerto Rico's independence or if it's a U.S. state or if it's a commonwealth, uh, what doesn't change is that today, as it is today, there are U.S. federal agencies that do have jurisdiction over a lot of the illegal uh, or environmental crimes that are happening. So today, U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico or anywhere in the U.S. can raise their voice because, you know, the destruction of the natural environment doesn't doesn't change uh, your political ideology in wanting it to stop. So you can be a, you can you could you can want independence, you can want statehood, or you can want it to remain a commonwealth. But you could, everybody's going to want environmental crimes to stop. And so I think that's again the common denominator that everybody has uh, and what you can do is you know let, let your folks like let your representatives know that who let in each state uh, and uh, you know senators congressmen uh, sometimes even mayors and governors have have voices as well so uh, again uh, that's how I feel that you can reach out because uh, without without making it something uh, political or turning it uh, Towards somebody's somebody's ideology, I think that's the common denominator. And, that, and again, that's that's the way kind of uh, that I like to work and that I like to communicate is where can we all agree? So so because from that point we can become we can begin to move forward. Um, and again, I think that you know right now it's kind of it's very, it's cherry picking because uh, environmental crimes are easy to address without even having to talk about political ideology or 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 the, situ the political situation with Puerto Rico. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone everyone wants to uh, you know drink clean water, uh, breathe in uh, clean air, and uh, you know have access to healthy foods, right? And maybe a little food sovereignty from time to time, you know. And I think that 
across the board, no matter what your society, lo que, lo que te diga la política, whatever your political affiliation is, we can agree clean air, clean water, access to healthy foods. And we already talked about, Jenna had mentioned it, you know, our connection to the environment is not just a, uh, you know, a place to recreate. It is a place to establish long-term healthy um, behaviors, a deep spiritual connections that really help to bring us back, recharge us, you know, again, you know, you're going, you know, when I think about people that pay all this money to go to, to Puerto Rico, um, at the end of the day, you want to maybe go back to La Isla Bonita, to La Isla del Encanto, and you really want to re-enjoy it. And maybe you want your kids to enjoy it the same way that, that you do, you know, and at the end of the day, you want to preserve that, you know, think about how much, like what you have mentioned, the frequency of storms increasing, the magnitude or the intensity of the storms increasing and Puerto Rico is an island you know it's like this this ecosystem ship out there that's navigating this place alone sometimes and I you know I'm here to to sit there and like when when Rai had mentioned you know the thing with Jobos Bay I'm I'm like how can I use my voice to amplify you know and I think that you know the nature of this show Jenna and the work of like Healthy Oceans Coalition and and Hispanic Access Foundation, I think that that's what we're here, you know, to do to really amplify because I have these conversations with Ryan and I, and I ask permission. That's what, that's what's up. That's what it is a part of this like decolonial aspect of bringing that voice. This, this is not just my voice. This is my voice, like echándole sazón, you know, like putting in the seasoning <laughs> and bringing it and bringing it to that point. And, you know, this is going back to what Ryan had mentioned you know, what Conservación Conciencia is about is about building that community relationship and that intra and transdisciplinary thing. Uh, right. Uh, can you tell us, like, give us like your like your shameless pitch here on how, you know, how can how can the, the listeners, you know, keep up or follow the work that Conservación Conciencia is doing and how can they get in touch with you to learn more? about some of the projects and some of the work that you, we were talking about, especially again, uh, Jobos Bay and, you know, how can they get in contact, especially if you're a student out there um, or you're a professor and want to start, you know, getting more shark, more shark work done and collaborating with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, we're easy again. We're a small organization. So the uh, best way to follow us is uh, over our social media, both on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, and so it's both a conservación conciencia. Uh, that's it. That's how you can find us both, and uh, either direct message there or on our website, uh, conservacionconciencia.org. You can send us a message to there, and, and we'll make sure to get back to you. Um, I, that's kind of that's the best easiest way to follow follow our work. And uh, uh, yeah, and again, if you if you there's any opportunity for collaboration, anybody wants to want us to help you guys with your research. Uh, we can always help out. We can always facilitate, and you know we're we're looking. We're, we we look forward to, to you know really continuing the work that we're doing and and really helping uh, helping do as much as we can. Yeah, excellent. So everybody, go ahead and give them a follow. Stay in touch with them. Support them in any way that you can. And Rye, as I wrap up my show, I ask all of my guests this like lightning round series of questions. Um, 
Starting with, what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say overconsumption of everything. And of everything, yes. <laughs> and what are you energized about moving forward? I'm, uh, oh, uh, just uh, further collaborations with the fishing sector. That's where there's more to come. So I'm really happy about that. Not just in Puerto Rico, but in the rest of the Caribbean. This last one is like a two-part question. You can kind of freestyle it. You can answer one part or both, whatever calls to you. So what is the best advice that you've ever been given or and or what advice do you have for our listeners? Oh, best, okay. best advice that I was... <laughs> so the best advice that I was ever given uh, was... Uh, was buy your second home first. <laughs> I always think about that because they said, you know, like, uh, you don't know, you, you might move around, but you know where you're always going to want to go back to. So I was like, okay, so I was like, that, was, that was interesting. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I always kept that close. Uh, and then uh, the, the advice that I would give uh, to anybody really is, is uh, really make sure that that you're able to work that have to have that 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 balance that work life balance uh even if it's something if even if it's working on something you love uh because you know it's 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 really important to to re-energize uh with whether it be on your own interest with family uh uh even even if your own interest is your work it's having that separation because uh, you're you'll be, you'll be grateful, you'll be you'll have time to be creative, uh, and that uh, and that's you also have time to fail. Uh, it's, I think I think that separation between work life uh, is what also gives you the opportunity to fail, and I think uh, if you have a good balance, uh, you know if you fail at something in life. Your work can help you keep moving forward, uh, and the other way around as well. If you fail at something at work, uh, life can help you keep on moving forward. The support you have in life, your other interests, your other, your other side. So I think that balance is really important. I think it's important to, important to make sure you work on keeping that balance. Yeah. So David and Rye. Thank you both so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me for this conversation. This was such an awesome discussion. I feel like it fed my soul. I have this new like energy that like no amount of coffee could give me this morning. So I'm just like eternally grateful for you both. David, I know that the two of us are going to continue collaborating through so many different aspects of the work that we do. I feel like you probably just secured your spot as like a regular co-host if you want it. And Rye, I hope that this is just the beginning of our collaboration and partnership together because the work that you're doing is so amazing. You're a great human. Um, and I feel like I could just keep gushing on and on about uh, how much I appreciate both of you. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Gracias. No, Un placer. Thank you, Jenna. Mucho claro que sí, David. <laughs> thank you, Jenna. Appreciate it. Anytime, I'm here. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show and others like it, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much appreciated and encouraged. 
If you enjoy social media, you can connect with us online. We are um, the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Facebook, and we are Coastal News 365 on Twitter and Instagram. If you would like to connect with me personally, I am at Jenna Valente on Instagram and at Yenna Benna on Twitter. So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. Mm-hmm.